I got a question. You guys know so much about women. How come you're here at like a gas and sip on a Saturday night, completely alone, drinking beers? No women anywhere. By choice, man. That's yeah, right, man. It's a choice, conscious boy. choice. It's a choice, man. Choosing to be here. Yeah. I want to be here. Hello and welcome to 80s Movie Montage. This is Derek. And this is Anna. And that was one of not only my favorite scenes (laughs) in quotes from this particular 80s movie, but this is also prominently featured in uh, some popular music. Well, just go ahead and and tell the listeners what it is so that... Well, the, the song is appropriately enough titled, These Are the Quotes from My Favorite 80s Movies from Bouncing Souls. And the movie this week is... Say anything. Yeah, okay. Way, way to bring it back around. <laughs> I got it. I know you've been very excited about that connection to the song. So well, yeah, I've seen most of the of the movies that are featured in that song, mm-hmm. but this is one of the first, you know, it comes up a lot uh, later on, but it's the first time I've actually watched it from start to finish. So, yeah. Yeah. This, uh, this doesn't happen a lot where we have a film where one or both of us haven't seen it before so i know maybe the first time we had that was with dead men don't wear plaid yeah i think that's the first time where neither one of us had really yeah yeah i know that i had never seen Bloodsport before or the transformers or the, the movie which gives you an idea of where we where we sit yeah with our 80s movie personal loves yeah uh was this actually the first besides dead men don't wear plaid was this the first movie that you had never seen before i well i'd seen parts of heathers but that's probably the the next closest one where we have a couple heathers cameos yeah where i just was a wasn't as familiar with it but everything i knew about say anything was based off of kind of like the meme status that some mm-hmm. of the scenes mm-hmm. had achieved with the boombox yeah. and with some other, like how, like, I don't want to say aggressive, but how pushy mm-hmm. he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cusack's character was at, at some points of the movie. And I, I really do think that like turned into something more than it really was. Cause watching the movie, I felt like some of that was overblown a touch. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's easy to do that when a film is like 30 plus years old and, you know. So I'd kind of written it off. I'm like, well, everything I know, I need to know about this movie, I've probably like heard somewhere. But in fact, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that was fun for me to get to see you seeing it for the first time. So let's jump in. Okay. So like I said, it's just a little over 30 years old because this is actually one of the later films that we've covered. It comes in at 1989. So just gets under the 80s cover it counts counts yeah yeah and this is really exciting because we're covering i think entire like entirely new cast of players i know i say that a lot well to some degree some of the behind the scenes people we've covered before but anyway this is our very first cameron crow movie and this is probably going to be like the only ter- yeah in terms of him directing i yeah. know that at some point we will absolutely cover fast times at ridgemont high which he wrote so yeah. that's like 82 so um much earlier in the decade but yeah this was his direct directorial debut there so you. this is going to be the only directing movie of his that we will cover yeah and it's a great one i mean we talk about with our guest danielle Personally, I think he did a great job directing the characters. And we all talk about how kind of fully fleshed out and more 
dimensional they feel than other teen characters from the decade yeah and because he both wrote and directed this movie i think that that like that's his vision that's, that's his vision yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean yeah. i get a little i get my snark up a little bit when people talk about like auteur directors and act as if like the entirety of a film depends on one person when it is such a huge collaboration but definitely his vision i think is what was seen in the movie and like i said uh, he wrote Fast Times at Richmond High, and I think we bring it up with Danielle as well. Like, he's very much like, I'm just going to direct the stuff that I write. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. really swerve out of that too much. And as far as his writing credits go, so besides Fast Times and Say Anything, then we move on to Singles. Very, uh, very 90s movie. Yeah. Very 90s movie. <laughs> uh, Jerry Maguire, Almost Famous, Vanilla Sky. I mean, oh. one of those things is not like the other. <laughs> but oh. Vanilla Sky is brilliant. It's a great movie. Yeah. I mean, like we were saying, we just, uh, it, I probably, that deserves a rewatch. It's, I don't think yeah. I've seen it since the theater. No, I don't, I don't know if I have either because it's such a interesting experience mm -hmm. in, in watching a film. Mm -hmm. And when I first saw it, I really didn't know where it was going. And it definitely surprised me. Mm -hmm. uh, you know it's it's great but it's definitely not the same feel as an almost famous or jerry mcguire it's as I mean, different as it could possibly be if i'm remembering be. correctly doesn't it just like open your eyes yeah <laughs> yeah so okay so vanilla sky elizabeth town we bought a zoo aloha and then most recently he's been writing on the tv series roadies oh. which i'm not familiar with but okay and now moving right back to Cameron Crowe because he's the writer-director on this sole credit for both. Uh, and like I mentioned, he pretty much just likes to helm the films that he has already written. All of those so, same things that you all just those talked same, about. Literally all those same things. <laughs> and the only thing that I added, uh, which is outside of that, is and he does a couple music videos, actually. Okay. Um, but the one that I thought was interesting was Paul Westerberg's Dyslex Dyslexic Heart, because that's like such a song from the movie Singles. Okay. Like, I think that might even be just like, like that soundtrack, I have that soundtrack. That soundtrack has a lot of great songs, but that's the one I identify most with it. Is it angsty as I would expect it to be for the 90s? Oh, have you never seen Singles? No. Like, it's so interesting because, like, yeah, when I think of, like, quintessential early 90s movies, I think singles and I think reality bites. And yes, I have seen reality yeah, bites. Yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know if I would say it's, like, angsty in the way that, like, I think reality bites definitely has that angstiness Well, Winona it. Ryder just brings the... Uh... Oh, more so Ethan Hawke. Really? Okay. Oh, Ethan Hawke is, like, so angsty, okay. I think. Like, he tries to be cooler than his angst, but yeah, he's really I mean, not. I've seen First Reformed. I know how angsty he can be. <laughs> yes, Real we have. Angsty. We have seen that. Um, Biblical and, levels of angst. In, in any case... Um, how did we get on that? Oh, just because he he directed music videos. Yeah. So, okay. And yeah, I'm not going to really go down all the other ones because they're all exactly what I just mentioned for all of his writing credits. Yeah. So, so that's kind of different. I mean, we've absolutely had directors who play a hand in writing the material that they direct. But I feel like usually it's... Um, it's you know, still part of like co-written with somebody yeah. else. And yeah. Yeah. He just, he writes it and he wants to get 
his interpretation of of what he put on the page onto the screen and yeah. he has a level of you have a level of control doing that that i don't think we've seen in some of the others where there's still more of a collaboration going on agreed yeah so okay Moving on to cinematography. So this is the one individual that we actually have talked about before. Laszlo Kovacs. Okay. Um, You know, in revisiting his work, I'm like kind of surprised he hasn't had or hadn't had more acclaim. Because especially like his early work is, I feel like, very Oscar-esque. Um, really impressive resume, honestly, and very prolific. I mean, yes. the guy did a lot. Yeah. Uh, Targets, Easy Writer. Heard of that. Five Easy Pieces. Okay. I thought this one was interesting because he was the DP on the last movie, not to be confused with the last picture show. However, both films came out in 1971. That would be very confusing as a moviegoer. I thought that was so interesting. So I was like, so there are two movies. One's called The Last Movie. The other is called The Last Picture Show. Came out the same year. How do you reconcile seeing those? Like, which one do you see first? Which one's really last? I don't know. Well, it's interesting also because eventually I'm going to get into this connection uh, with Last Picture Show and another individual that's like connected to this movie. But moving on, and and then Co- Kovacs himself, because like the next credit I was going to bring up is What's Up Doc. So mm. essentially, like I know this might sound a little convoluted, but Peter Bogdanovich directed the Last Picture Show, not the movie that Kovacs <laughs> actually DP'd. However, yeah. he also was the director of What's Up Doc, so that's when they kind of came together and collaborated. Um, But the person that I want to bring up is not actually even Peter Bogdanovich. It's Polly Platt, who is a producer on Say Anything. And she has such an interesting career. This is a total aside right now as we're in the middle of somebody else's like career. But definitely do yourself a favor if you're interested in listening to like film history and and just learning about people who maybe aren't as well known as they should be definitely go to a different podcast that's Stop called listening to us. <laughs> called you must remember this uh the creator of it she does a whole season on Polly Platt. i can't even begin to do justice to it it is a fascinating season to listen to so and then maybe come back to us and then maybe come back to us yeah. so he did um shoot what's up doc he also shot paper moon another bogdanovich yeah. movie yeah um he does shampoo we talked about him when we did our episode on Ghostbusters. Yes. So that's that's where he comes in. He had a great 80s. He did Mask, Legal Eagles. Uh, he does, <laughs> uh, I think, a very... A, a film that was marketed very interestingly, Radio Flyer, because it is way darker than I think people maybe anticipate it being. I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So he shot Radio Flyer, The Next Karate Kid, Copycat, Mossop multiplicity my best friend's wedding jack frost one of my favorites miss congeniality yes i knew you're gonna bring that up that yeah we can never cover on this <laughs> podcast and two weeks notice so yeah just an amazing career and awesome awesome work so thank you mr kovacs okay moving on to film editing which was by a gentleman named of richard marks not to be confused oh my god not to be confused. It, it's not? It's in, not. Uh, no, no, no. This is Richard Marks, M-A-R-K-S. 
not Richard Marks, M-A-R-X. Yeah, there was an X there, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, it's different. Well, it's different. that's probably to everyone's benefit because... <laughs> that would be the really one interesting. The, um, <laughs> the one with the X, utter rubbish. Oh, that's not true. And even if you weren't particularly a fan of the songs that he sang, he's an amazing songwriter. Okay. So he's not rubbish, All right. Derek. Okay. Apologies. <laughs> Getting back to the editor, Richard Marks. Okay, so some of his work. And, you know, he has several Oscar nominations. Never quite snagged that Oscar. But among some of his work, so we he one of his earliest credits is Serpico, which he was co-editor mm. on. But then we have a little picture by the name of The Godfather Part Two. Man. That's... <laughs> that he was the editor on. Which... When you think about there's the, a lot yeah, going on yeah, in that movie. Exactly. Like when you think about and it's not just like the multiple kind of storylines each within their own time frame, but the fact that they go back and forth between Vito's story and Michael's story. Stitching like, that together to make what ultimately is a classic. Yeah. Was no small task, I'm sure. I mean, so many people argue that it's like better than the original. So it's, and I think in large part due to, I, I personally love the first because I just love Brando in it. Um, so that's why I'm always going to lean towards the original. But it is, it is a masterpiece of editing. Is it better than three though? You know, <laughs> you know how I feel about this. And it's kind of amazing to me that actually that's not one of the films that he got an Oscar nomination for. Yeah. He, did he get Strangely it for enough. Max Dugan Returns? We'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. So we have The Godfather Part Two, The Last Tycoon. Okay, so then he teams up again with Coppola. He does get his first Oscar nomination, although he was part of the team. Really, it was headed by master editor Walter Murch. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully, I don't know if we'll actually get to a Walter Murch film because he didn't do a lot in the 80s. But uh, in any case, he was part of the editing team that was nominated for Apocalypse Now. Ah, okay. So... Uh, yeah, and I could see why. That must have been just an absolute bear yeah. <laughs> to edit. Uh, he did Pennies from Heaven. He gets his second nom for Terms of Endearment. I edited this one literally just for you. Oh. And our good friend Owen, who okay. we've had on the show. Oh, I know what it is. The well, Adventures yeah. of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Marks, <laughs> for that. Thank you, good Marks. Good Marks. Okay, he also did a lot of 80s work. Uh, St. Elmo's Fire, Pretty in Pink. He gets his third Oscar nomination for Broadcast News. I'd like to do that one at some point. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dick Tracy, Father of the Bride, the one with Steve Martin. I just, uh, I know this is like maybe not a well-known film, but I just, re- I don't know why I always remember this movie. It's be- It's obviously because of the title, Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead. Yeah, that's a fun title. Yeah. I just wanted to say as an aside that I'm glad Dick Tracy is a 1990 film because I don't want to cover it. I mean, we have lots of 80s movies. So even if it like snuck in there and was like another 89 movie, we could definitely kill time <laughs> with <laughs> other movies before we would get to it. But uh, in any case, he gets his final Oscar nomination for As Good As It Gets. Do really love that movie. Yeah, that is a good movie. I mean, just and and as it, it doesn't always work out that way. Oscars do not always work out where the person who is most deserving gets it because there's just a lot of politics involved. But I would say that 
Nicholson absolutely deserved the Oscar for that. I mean, he's obviously one of the greatest actors of all time and had already been doing quite well <laughs> up until as good as it gets, but I'm just really glad he won for that role. I'd give it to him just for the sunglasses move. He, Yeah, he's just, he's great. Yeah. Love him. Okay. Uh, you've got male, riding in cars with boys, Spanglish, and Julie and Julia are a couple more of Mr. Mark's credits. Okay, moving on to music. We actually have two individuals who are credited with the score in this one. So, And each of them individually. I don't think they really I'm, – I'm kind of curious what that situation was where they had them both come on board because they don't appear to be a partnership. Hmm. They don't really, like, cross over in any other way they all had like they both had their individual careers but in any case we have Anne Dudley first of all and so among some of her composing credits we have Disorderlies, The Mighty Quinn, The Crying Game. I still I can still remember that score in my head. Um, I remember that one that's a big one. I just had to include this because I like my funny titles. Gentlemen Don't Eat Poets. No they don't that's the correct. Could not even begin to imagine what that movie's about. (laughs) The Full Monty. Okay. An amazing film that I will probably never see again, American History X. Yeah, the same year that she worked on a movie with another interesting title, The Sadness of Sex. Oh, I didn't include that one. Wow. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. There you go. I mean, the thing is, is that like, okay, so again, I don't really, I mean, I could take probably a better guess of that one, <laughs> what that movie is about, but the headspace you must put yourself into for these films, like, man, uh, she, I guess in a manner of speaking, reunites with John Cusack, because isn't he in Pushington? I think he is, yes. Him and yeah. uh, Billy Bob. Thornton. Yeah. And Angelina Jolie. I believe she is in that as well. Is she? I think she is. She's one of the couple, like the other side of the couples or girlfriend or whatever. I, I might be making that up, but no, she hold is on. one with Kate hold, hold on, hold on, hold yeah. on. Okay, so we're right about the we're right about the guys. Yep. Oh, you were right. Oh, I'm so sorry. You were right. I have seen some movies. You were right. Yeah. Uh, I just have no recollection of her. That's so weird. Okay. Moving on, we have Tristan and is it is a <laughs> what are you saying is it sold i don't know how you say her name it's like that classic old couple that i feel like sometimes is even like romeo and juliet it, they compare or it's based on is this something that she worked on yes please can you say the name for me please i don't even know <laughs> uh tristan and he sold okay is that how you say it i i think it's he sold he sold yeah i have i have problems sometimes with <laughs> but thank you for that um, she also worked on Away, and then, uh, like, more recently, uh, the TV miniseries Black Narcissist, and she's, I don't really know what these would be about. I'm guessing it maybe is about the science and or creative side of music, because she's part of all these, like, really short videos called The Art of Noise. Yeah. So, that looked interesting. Um, okay, so moving on to another Richard. We have Richard Gibbs, who is the other credited uh, composer on this film. So he composed for a while on The Simpsons. His name sounds familiar. Yeah. Okay. Um, I included this one because I listened to a How Did This Get Made podcast about it. A gnome named Gnorm. 
or I guess it, maybe it should be <laughs> a gnome, gnome named Gnome. Yeah, they, gnome I think Norm. they were like trying to figure out exactly like how you do say the title of that movie. Ah. Um, so he composed on that. Ladybugs, The Gun, and Betty Lou's Handbag, Son-in-Law, Fatal Instinct, not to be confused with Basic Instinct. Basic Instinct Or Fatal out. Attraction. Or Fatal Attraction. Oh, good. that's another good or one. Or Basic, which is a movie about basic training. Oh. Yeah. Okay. That's so interesting. Do you think that that's what... I didn't really do a deep dive at all into, like, what the movie would be about. But it's probably just, like, yeah. They just took, like, those, like, sexual thrillers. So Fatal Attraction, Basic Instinct, Fatal Instinct. Yeah. Is my guess. Came out in 93. Okay. Uh, he also worked on Tracy Takes On... Dirty Work, Dr. Doolittle, 10 Things I Hate About You. Dirty Work is a fun... No, wait, I'm thinking of Men at Work. Dirty Work is a less fun one with uh, Norm MacDonald, but it's still okay. Oh, okay. I okay. Think, yeah, I think that's what that is. 20 days... Or, I think that was meant to be 28 days. Because 20 days, I don't even know what that would be. 20 days. <laughs> 20 days. Uh, Big Mama's House and Queen of the Damned. Okay. Okay. So, finally getting to the stars of the movie... We've mentioned him already, John Cusack, first billing. He plays Lloyd Dabbler. Yeah, it's a good name. It's a fun name. It's Now it's a name. Like, when you say that, I think a lot of people know exactly the character you're talking about. Yeah. And, yeah, he's had quite the career. Um, got his start in the 80s. His very first film credit was Class. I probably remember first seeing him in 16 Candles. Uh, and you know what? Like when we were talking with Danielle, I mentioned that this is so I guess the reason why I consider this his first real leading role is because of the emotional depth of it. But I guess in a manner of speaking, that's not correct because he was the lead in the sure thing as well as better off dead. Yeah. So he does have those two movies preceding this. But, you know, they're like wacky comedies. There's not a ton of... I think those, again, kind of had an impact on what I expected out of this movie. Mm. And so there's a little bit of that, like, wackiness and, like, craziness in, in how his character behaves and say anything. But it is – there's so much more depth to, mm -hmm. to like, Lloyd mm -hmm. than the characters in Better Off Dead, for sure. Right. Or, or a sure thing. Right. Or definitely 60 Candles. Any of them. Yeah. So I just wanted to clarify. I know that, like – probably some people be like well that's not true because he was lead in these other movies and you're totally right i you just got us you got us but i mean i got myself because i'm calling it out before anybody else does but <laughs> uh because i know that there we, those, we could just correct it <laughs> there are those people out there but um but in any case so the journey of natty gan uh he has that bit part and stand by me yes he does he's the big brother yeah he he is the cooler brother that Everyone in that family wishes had stayed alive. Yeah. That's awful. It's awful. Yep. One Crazy Summer, where again, arguably, he's the lead. Uh, Eight Men Out. Yes. And then uh, he moves into kind of like, well, I guess Eight Men Out would kind of be considered among that. But he finally, finally kind of moves out of his like teen character phase. And so like then he goes into The Grifters, Bob Roberts, Bullets Over Broadway, City Hall, uh, I mentioned how much I love this movie, Gross Point Blank, yeah. that he's in. Con Air. <laughs> Follows that up with Con Air. Man, Con Air makes Bloodsport kind of look like The Godfather. 
Wow. Yeah. That is a it's, statement. It's such a dumb movie. It but is, it's fun, right? Yeah. I don't know if I've actually seen the whole thing through. It is it is such a like aggressively dumb movie, but it is fun. It's just a spectacle. Lots it's, of like yeah. lots of big names in it, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So it's like um it's like Armageddon. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Without sending anyone to space. They just go to Vegas, I think, maybe. Okay. Yeah. We have Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Great movie. The film we yeah. just mentioned, Pushington. Yep. And then I I keep forgetting this, although I adore him in this movie, and this movie's just so amazing being John Malkovich. Yeah, I definitely have to bring that up. So good. So, so good. And it's so funny. He really swings there's wide. Such a breadth. As, yeah. Yeah, there's a really broad scope of of characters that he's played movies that he's been in yeah because then we have high fidelity which we saw not too long ago america's sweethearts serendipity identity 1408 which i hear is a really underrated identity is very underrated by the way that's a great movie oh okay okay i was gonna say it's i i feel like 1408 is a movie that people like but it's not talked about a lot am i wrong I've never even. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I know of it, but yeah. Yeah, I know what the like what the premise is. Yeah. Hot tub time machine, and then more recently he's been on the TV series Utopia. Hmm. Amazing career. Uh, definitely like a high as much as he doesn't want to be a high profile actor. I mean, he's done so much and he's done so much good work. Yeah, sorry, I mean, you are. I mean, he's one of those individuals who's made it really clear that like he wants to separate, you know, the artistry of what he does from his personal life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's that's fair. It's very fair. But uh, yeah, I mean, everybody knows who John Cusack is. I think so. Yeah. So also a Chicago guy, Cubs fan. So there you go. Okay, moving on to Ioni Sky, who plays Diane Court. And yeah, as we mentioned with Danielle, she's still working, uh, just maybe not as high profile work. So when I was going through her credits, there are there are a fair amount of projects that I wasn't personally familiar with, which does not mean anything. It's just stuff that I wasn't personally familiar with. Sure. But her first film credit. Again, came up in the 80s, River's Edge. And then she goes on to do A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon, Gas Food Lodging. She's in Wayne's World. Okay. Dream for an Insomniac. I included this one because of the title alone. Went to Coney Island on a mission from God, Be Back by Five. Interesting. Right? I I wonder if there's any Blues Brothers crossover with this. With this mission of God stuff. I don't think there is. Interesting. Good uh, good eye, though, to pick up on that, possibly. Okay. This, I thought, was really interesting. She, because I, okay, I really like the movie Zodiac. I think it's really well done. Mm-hmm. As, as dark as it is. It, uh, it is very dark. It's it very, is <laughs> about a serial killer. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So it's as dark as it gets. She is in it, and I very much think of her scene in the movie and she is uncredited which i'm very curious why like why sometimes these people who because it's not like she's just in the background in a scene i mean she has a significant do you know what scene i'm talking about i don't so she you've seen the movie though right i have okay so it's she's that that mother who is driving at night oh and and he like i'm using air quotes helps her with a tire but 
actually he like kind of sabotages the tire which makes her car like totally break down and so she is forced to get in the car with him because he's like i'll give you a ride to the next gas station this doesn't sound like it's going to a good place well basically what happens is that he doesn't realize that she had a baby in the back seat and so when she gets in his car and he's like you have a baby and she's like, yeah, is that okay? And you could tell he's, like, upset. Because, like, he doesn't want that complication, mm. you know? And eventually, um, I didn't, like, rewatch the whole scene. But I think she just, like, actually flings herself out of the car. Because she knows, like, this is not... Because they pass the gas station. Uh. And so she know. I mean, she knows even before that moment that this guy is, like, not okay. Um, I mean, what it's... a crazy contrast to her time in a car with Lloyd from... <laughs> say anything i know i know i'm getting off track but i'm just curious like it's such a i think substantial part of the film like why would you not i don't know whatever yeah to to be uncredited at least hey at least say lady in car with baby yeah it's just odd i I don't know i don't know and then i'm gonna get to that again because another like uncredited thing which i'm like i don't understand that okay so moving on to she's done a lot of tv recently so she's been on the tv series camping arrested development and then most currently good girls it sounds like she's on the very last season of good girls and i just am not um i do watch that show i'm just like not up up to date with it so um haven't seen her yet Okay, so moving on to John Mahoney, who plays her father, James Court. Is he just always playing someone's father? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, we know him. I've only thought of two things. Most (laughs) as somebody's father. Yeah. But, uh, But yeah, I mean, interesting career, like I mentioned with Danielle, you know, I, I did not do a deep enough dive into, you know, his earlier life, but he has his first IMDb credit from 1981, Hudson Taylor is the project, and he was 41 years old at that time. Good for so, him. So, yeah. That's awesome. I thought that was, like, pretty cool. Okay. So, also has a, you know, nice little run in the 80s. He's in the Manhattan Project. He's in Moonstruck. The Manhattan Project is confusing because... It feels in many ways like, is this kind of like War Games? Yes. There are some parallels. Yeah. I mean, there was this big nuclear holocaust mm-hmm. fear mm-hmm. that was injected into some 80s movies. And I feel like... Red Dawn. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that that was interesting. I didn't realize that he was in that, but that's that's a cool uh, cool credit there. Yeah. He's fantastic in Moonstruck. He's so good. Yeah. Uh, Eight Men Out. Barton Fink. So I included this just because I thought this was like a fun little fun fact. Okay. I guess you would say. He does make an appearance on the show Cheers. However, he is not Frazier's dad. What? He plays a character called Cy Flumbeck. Oh, man. What like a, a one-off. Like he wasn't recurring or anything, but I was like, that is so interesting. That, uh, that really is interesting since the Frasier from the TV show Frasier is the Frasier from yes. Cheers, obviously. Yeah. 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 So that's that's pretty interesting. Yeah. He's in The Line of Fire, The Hudsucker Proxy, Reality Bites, which we mentioned just a minute ago, The American President, Primal Fear, and then... The role that he is arguably most famous for the Iron is Giant? no. Oh. He plays Martin Crane, Fraser Crane's go. father. In <laughs> name of the show is the same, Fraser. Yeah. <laughs> um. So he was in that the entirety of it. He also then post Fraser was in Treatment, 
meaning the, the name of the show is the, in treatment. Yes, the name yes. of the show yeah. is in treatment. And then Hot in Cleveland as well. So he's no longer with us, but um, he had he had an amazing career. Okay, moving on to one of Lloyd's best girl friends, Lily Taylor, who plays Corey Flood. Uh, again, another actress that came up in the 80s. Her first film credit was She's Having a Baby. Hmm. And then I probably, as far as like 80s movies go, yeah, I know she's in this movie, but I definitely identify her with Mystic Pizza. That's that's like what I think of okay. with her. She yeah. was in Born on the Fourth of July, Dogfight, Shortcuts, Rudy. Born on the Fourth of July, by the way, is a great movie to watch if you feel like maybe I'd want to be in a like bad, depressed mood later today. I'll watch this movie. <laughs> it's going to bring me down. Which is generally the opposite of why I watch 80s movies, but hey, <laughs> just in case anyone needs that. You just really need to go to that place. Things are going really well, and I want to bring it down a notch. <laughs> I'm going to throw this movie on. Okay. Uh, probably in contrast to Rudy, ultimate feel-good movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, she's in Ready to Wear, Pecker, The Haunting, not to be confused with The Conjuring, which she is also in. She's which in both of them. I think the the Conjuring is a vastly superior movie to The Haunting. I've yeah. seen them both, <laughs> and yeah, Conjuring Conjuring's is great. It's it's a good enough movie that they they felt highly enough about this movie to completely ruin its legacy with a bunch of sequels and spinoffs. Yeah. Some of which are okay, and we'll get there. Yeah, yeah it, it actually comes up. So um, she reunites with Cusack in High Fidelity. She had a very long stint. I didn't realize this because I never totally got into the show, but she had a stint on Six Feet Under. Oh, okay. Yeah. She was in the movie Public Enemies. We just mentioned The Conjuring. She does more TV. She's in a show called Almost Almost Human as well as American Crime. Now, I brought this up because I was like, oh, yeah, she was in this because we watched this, like, not too long ago. She's in Leatherface. Yeah, man, that movie. Not, not a good movie. No, no, it did. It, <laughs> yeah, it it did not make a whole lot of sense. I no. almost need to revise my earlier statement on movies not making sense, <laughs> just because of this. So she's in that, and then yes, uh, you were just talking about the Conjuring franchise. Yeah, and so she returns as the character of Caroline Perone, who that's who she played in the Conjuring, the mom in that family. Yeah. And so she comes back for The Nun. But yeah. I don't know, because we haven't seen The Nun, so I just don't know how, how big of a role she has in it. Maybe she's just, like, it's quick. I think, like, the Annabelle spinoffs mm-hmm. are the ones that I have enjoyed the least. Like, the other ones are, you know, there's there's a lot. They've spun them off in, I mean, like, they've done a bang-up job. A million of... different directions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean... I feel like once we get around to Halloween, I'm always... We're halfway there. We're halfway there. <laughs> I would be open to watching those. It's just like something that every, any other time of the year, I'd be like, nah, nah. So. And then <laughs> and then most recently, uh, the TV series Perry Mason. Oh, which the new... I uh, had no idea. They even rebooted that. Yeah, it's, it's supposed to be really good on oh. HBO Max. Okay. Yeah. All right. So moving on to Lloyd's other friend, DC. So... A much shorter uh, CV for Amy Brooks. Uh, we bring this up with Danielle. So she's the daughter of James L. Brooks, who is another producer on this film. I mean, 
just a giant in in cinema and television for that matter you know he was the man behind broadcast news uh most people might recognize the name because he's listed on literally every episode of the simpsons because he is one of the creators yeah, of it it's so. a name you see so often you don't remember seeing it exactly so her credits it, it kind of looks like you know she maybe just had a, a passing interest in acting i'm not sure and went on to just take a different path in life but she actually also has a bit in broadcast news say anything beach beverly hills and there are no beaches in beverly hills no no there's not yeah and then i'll do anything okay so those are her credits okay so moving on to the woman i was gushing about because now we're kind of getting into all of these like cameo type appearances in the film so those because those actors that i just mentioned those are the key players in the film like those are the biggies that are have character arcs and storylines throughout the film yeah but then we have like these smaller little uh you know instances like polly platt she plays mrs flood so she plays Corey's mom yeah and you see her just for a hot second at graduation where she's like kind of like i don't know what she was telling her but she's kind of like um not scolding her but just being a mom i guess and so i thought that that was like really fun that she had that little cameo but yes she is a producer on this film and you know as far as her acting work she doesn't do acting or she didn't do acting work she's also no longer with us but uh i think like her other one cameo was on something called sugartown oh um but otherwise yeah she has big producer such an interesting career i mean she started off so she was married to peter bogdanovich they were this amazingly creative couple and you know she really supported him in terms of getting his career off the ground and she started off as like a production designer and even though she maybe didn't get the credit for it because at that time women were not part of that world but you know she was with him through the last picture show um what's the one uh paper moon you know she a couple like his yeah. biggest hits his big, yeah. and then you know like i said i don't i don't uh, often go down the path of like talking about people's personal lives but do it it's very like you can very easily look up why they split and then she went off and did her own thing and i think for a while she was more in the in the writing scene and then she finally like moves into producing and you know, is is largely, I think, responsible for, you know, giving Cameron Crowe his first shot at directing. And then later on, she is a champion for Wes Anderson. And, you know, so she she had an amazing career, very influential, and does not get enough credit for it. So, again, if you have the time, after you're done listening to our podcast, please go to You Must Remember This and listen to the season about her because she's pretty, pretty awesome. Okay, moving on to Jeremy Piven. Are we going to just skip over Pamela Adlon? No, I'm getting there. Okay. I'm getting there. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I just just am not going to cover her as much. So um, let's get back to Jeremy then. Yeah. I mean, Jeremy Piven, so he plays that like crazy, drunk, high energy guy at the party. His name's Mark. You hear him in the the clip that we. lead off the podcast oh yeah that's with. right yeah he's yeah. he's one of the several friends saying that he's there by choice yeah the gas and sip i mean we are a little snarky about him 
in our conversation with I, yeah i i am and i just i feel like he's he's in some movies where the casting like he's great i just mm-hmm. think the casting sometimes makes me scratch my head because yeah it's you're introduced to his character at a high school party and i'm like i'm sorry you just look well even preceding this like yeah. his one of his earliest roles might have been the first even i don't know lucas he plays a high school student, and I was like, no, yeah. no. He's, like, 35 years old. And I'm yeah. sure he wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't 35 years old, but he's never looked young. And so it is just, like, bizarre sometimes, the casting. And, I mean, the reason why we were being a little snark about him is because he kind of seems to tag along with a lot of John Cusack movies. <laughs> um, I believe they've been in, like, 10 different movies together. And, you know, Cusack is always the bigger role in those films uh so i don't know i don't know what's behind the scenes i don't know who's pulling strings for who but i generally like him in stuff i see him in but sometimes it takes me out of it a little bit when i'm like come on man and like i mentioned i think he does amazing when he's in a project that's not with his bestie he was a great dean in old yeah so let me go through some of his credits um we do have lucas one crazy summer the Grifters, Bob Roberts, Singles, PCU. Uh, do you remember him having that role bit part in Heat? He's like the doctor that they go to after Val Kilmer's been shot. I don't. He has I'm a role to... bit part. Yeah, PCU I remember him in for He's, sure. He has a bigger role in that for and sure. Yeah, that, He's the lead, isn't he? I mean, that one kind of make like in the context, the fact that he maybe looks like he's just like a touch too old for how he acts and co- it all like works, works really well in the context of that movie mm-hmm. yeah he uh another cusack movie he's also in gross point blank he does a lot of t- television um and not even the show that you're probably thinking about right now so he was on the larry sanders show he was on ellen he was on cupid hmm. some uh, more of his film credits the family man which i like i think that's an underrated movie I also in Serendipity, Black Hawk Down, the role that you mentioned, Old School, where he's great. Jeez. <laughs> he's so good. And then perhaps the project for which he's most well-known, Entourage. Sure, yeah. As Ari Gold. And so he was on the entirety of the TV series, and then they did a movie that I never, I had honestly completely forgotten about until I was like looking at his credits. So then they did the movie version of it. And then more recently, he's been on a TV series called Mr. Selfridge. Hmm. So, okay. So I just have these people listed instead of really kind of going down the rabbit hole. Because, again, they're, like, briefly in the movie. But, and and also, to varying degrees, they didn't, they weren't the names that they are now. So, for instance, we have B.B. Newearth who plays the, like, guidance counselor that tracks Lloyd down. Yeah, she kind of shows up and stays at the party, I think. Doesn't yes. she? Yeah. yeah, so I thought that was kind of funny. And that was her film debut. Yeah, so, she was... And I know that blew your mind because, like... Because I'm like, now I'm seeing Frazier's ex-wife, yeah. the dad's ex-daughter-in-law. Uh-huh. They're all in Seattle. You can't tell me this doesn't all tie together. <laughs> we have Eric Stoltz, who... Like, I don't remember his name being mentioned, but apparently his name is Valer. Yeah, it looks like that. It looks like either a Valer or a really interesting Valerie. Yeah, exactly. V-A-H-L-E-R-E. Yeah. You make the call. He's the host of the party. Yeah. It's his party. 
So he he gets some screen time and he's really fun in it. We have uh, the head, Heather, Kim Walker, mm-hmm. who is also in it. She plays Sheila. Like all these names don't matter because I don't think anybody's ever mentioning their names in the movie. But she plays Sheila. So she has um, a little bit of screen time. We have, so Eric Stoltz, you know, we talked about him in Some Kind of Wonderful. And we also talked about China Phillips, who's also in this movie. She actually gets a line this time. So uh, she basically tells Joe, like, I'm going to be in the living room or whatever she says. <laughs> that's it. So that's it. <laughs> China Phillips. Um, I looked for her. And if anybody out there knows where she is in the film, I'm guessing it's also at the party. But the other Heather, who's not Shannon Doherty. The cheerleader Heather. There's three Heathers, right? There's three Heathers. Yeah. yeah. So Kim Walker is the head Heather who is killed um, in the movie. And then we have Lizanne Falk. And I just couldn't find her. Literally couldn't find her in the film. Hmm. So um, if anybody out there knows exactly where she is. Where'd she go? Where'd she go? So you liked Philip Baker Hall. Yeah. In this Bookman. movie. Uh, the detective... The library detective from, I think, one... I don't know if he was even in more than one episode of Seinfeld, but he was tracking down people for late overdue fees. There you go. So I thought it was great that he was in this role as, like, an IRS agent boss guy. And does great in a short amount of time. He has, like, a depth to his character that, like, that's really hard to do when you're on screen for, like, two minutes. Yeah, he's in a difficult scene with Diane talking Mm -hmm. about how they essentially know that her father has committed Mm -hmm. this crime... And he does it in a way that was like kind of heartwarming Mm -hmm. because he knew that he was literally the person breaking this girl's heart by telling her that her dad had done these things. Yeah. Agreed. And then he also collects overdue fees (laughs) and does a great job of it. Okay. So getting to the person that you were like, (gasps) Pamela Adlon. (laughs) (laughs) No, well, when I saw her, I I recognize her because we have recently watched Bumblebee. Where Correct. she's the, the she's been in a ton of stuff. She was yes. also in that show with that guy that did that thing that we won't talk about. Yes, um, I think I know which one you're talking about. I mean, probably most people know her right now from Better Things. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I was. It, it's it was a show that rhymed with Bluey. Yes, I figured that that's what you meant. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so yeah, she has a bit part. She's kind of like it's interesting because she's in the beginning of the film and then she kind of just goes away. Well, Lily Taylor's character kind of takes over that that group of friends. Yeah. And I think even they at one point acknowledge that it's really like their group is kind of like all about what, what she's going through. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We also have Corey's one-time love interest, Joe, who's played by Lauren Dean. And he's he's definitely one of those guys where you're like oh, I don't know his name, but I totally know that face. Like, he has been in a lot of stuff. And the thing that, like, I first came to mind for me was Apollo 13. And then he continues to work for the space program later on in Space Cowboys. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, good yeah. connection there. And then finally, last but not least, we have Joan Cusack. Yeah, absolutely not not least. She's great. Not least, but also not credited. God damn it. Which, again, I don't understand. That that doesn't I make any sense to me. I don't get it. Because she has, like, a, a not insignificant part right. in, like, kind of grounding Lloyd's character so that yeah. we understand a little bit more about his family. Yep. It, that, that doesn't make any sense. And she has a great, like, 
her character is supposed to be like kind of hardened by the fact yeah. that she like she's a single, single mom. mom was left and when she tells him like i thought you were gonna be like her son's uncle not yeah. his friend i thought that was like kind of a great line yeah no it and like i was saying with danielle i know that i'm not I, i'm being subjective here because her relationship her acting relationship in terms of her brother is very similar to that of Jeremy Piven. I mean, I think they've also been in like 10 different movies together. And to better effect, possibly. Well, but... because and this is like not to slam Jeremy Piven. I just really like Joan Cusack. And I think she literally, I mentioned it, she elevates everything she's in. Like even in 16 Candles, where she doesn't have a line, but you see her trying to get a drink at the water fountain. And like, I mean, she's so so good or when she's trying to have a beer and she tipped like she's so good she's i think like she's she's good in everything that i've seen her in and she's great when she's interacting with john yeah and in particular you know in high fidelity mm -hmm. when she's able to like really unload on him and tell, tell him what an asshole his mm -hmm. character is i feel like she probably really enjoyed that but she's also <laughs> she's also really good in gross point blank yeah as his like secretary of sorts coordinator administrator coordinator. Yeah. yeah she's Awesome. I yeah. just love her. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't really understand the whole uncredited thing. But... We are crediting her right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, film synopsis. Uh-huh. A noble underachiever and a beautiful valedictorian fall in love the summer before she goes off to college. Yeah. That yeah. Works. Yeah, it's pretty I, good. I mean, I, I like that they added the noble underachiever. Mm -hmm. To somehow get give us a sense that this wasn't just like a uh, a slacker, per mm -hmm. se. He's a good guy. He just hasn't uh, figured out what he wants to do yet. This is really splitting hairs. But like, I think the one thing I would like to have changed. I mean, I guess by virtue of the fact that she's valedictorian, you know that she's driven. But I don't know if you like need to have that she's beautiful in there. Like, like the fact that they're commenting on her appearance when they don't do the same for him. I just. I get I get a little yeah I snark mean about it it's, but I feel like it is part of the yes she like is the story yes you know so it's, it's not it's not totally unfair but I see I hear what you're saying yeah so there is a montage in yeah, the movie of course and it comes in I mean it works I mean it comes in at about I think like the 51 minute mark and basically it's just kind of showing a little bit of the evolution of their relationship like it's what it's it's so common in movies like you know exactly what i'm talking about where they just show them in different locations we already hugging got, or kissing yeah. or whatever and so you're just seeing them get like more serious we have 16 weeks to make this happen so it's really let's let's accelerate this so i can see how much they love each other exactly right? yeah so it works it works uh yeah i mean i mentioned as far as like fun facts go uh the dojo we are lloyd trains and seems to be a teacher of the little kiddos mm -hmm. same one as the karate kid that is fun yeah um we already talked about how this is the uh, the debut directorial debut of crow yep and then the only other thing that i thought was interesting i mean this isn't necessarily a surprise to me because it's movie making so it's like i feel like that'd be weird if they had the actual song um but it's not in your eyes like they did have a song playing from that boom box when he was outside it just okay. wasn't in your eyes what was it it was uh, i feel like you might know this song i don't know this song turn the other way by fishbone really yes that's what was playing from the boombox. yes because apparently that's that's like a song that cusack likes 
Wow. Not that they were necessarily going to ever use it in the movie. I don't really know how serious they were about it. It was just like a fill, you know, like a placeholder. Okay. So, uh, yeah, That's that wild. was that was the actual song. I mean, I feel like it could have been. I mean, maybe they could have changed it out with whatever they wanted to. So, like, even if they didn't have the rights, because they did, you know, reach out to Peter Gabriel and ask, like, we need, you know, need to have the rights to the song to use it. But they could have just used it anyway. And you know, I when we were talking about my de- with Danielle, I was mentioning how effective I think he is in that scene, just off of his facial expressions. Yeah. So the fact that it worked, even though the song that ultimately is in the movie is not the song that was playing, is maybe all the more impressive. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So on that note, how about we dive into our conversation with Danielle? Yeah, let's do it. And so we are so very excited today to have on the show, first of all, an amazing friend, and secondly, a fantastic writer, Danielle Schwartz. Danielle, welcome to the show. Hello. <laughs> we're, we're so stoked to have you here. This is going to be a fun one because actually we were kind of mentioning it on the last episode. We haven't done just like a good old fashioned like romantic movie in a while. No, ever. I mean, I it's don't. Bride. I don't think. Well, that is. And I guess there were elements of it in both uh, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid and Bloodsport. But not I knew really. you're I knew you're going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> But no, this is going to be a fun one. And also like brand new people. Like we've never discussed Cameron Crowe. We've never discussed John Cusack. So like, I'm ready. Yeah. All right, let's do it. Okay, so Danielle, like I typically Mm -hmm. do. First question. Do you have a memory of seeing this movie for the first time? And if you can, like maybe what were the circumstances around it? Were you with anybody? And just what were your first thoughts of it? So I knew you're gonna ask me this, so I was trying <laughs> to remember. And so you're gonna think I'm such a silly person. Um, when I was watching Gilmore Girls live, like week to week when it aired, mm-hmm. um, when I was a teenager, I they have like a lot of like TV film references, like in every episode. And I thought I would try to watch everything they mentioned. Um, it was my goal. Like, oh, they mentioned that. Like, I'm going to figure, find that one and watch it. And they did one for Say Anything. And I'm pretty sure that this was what got me to watch it, even though I knew about the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. but do you guys watch, have you watched Gilmore Girls? Uh, I mean, I've seen episodes of it. I know who's in it. But actually, like, as you were just, like, saying that, it's like, th- this is actually a really fun, interesting story. I don't think we've ever had that before. <laughs> no. This I'm is not the, surprised. Yeah. We're, like, <laughs> one kind of cultural phenomenon, you know, made you want to watch something else that, honestly, I think has that place in cinema as well. Yeah. I only know of Gilmore Girls because it it – kind of like came and went and then it was brought back right and so i remember there being a lot of news when it was coming back right um so okay so you're like all right i'm gonna check this out yeah i don't remember like exactly sitting down and watching it but i'm pretty sure that that's what got me to go get the dvd or something like that okay and i mean it is like it's late 80s it's 89 so it makes it just into the decade Um, Just got in there. Just got in there. And so, you know, from what you're telling us, like, obviously, you're watching it several decades removed from when it first came out. So I'm curious, 
how like how did you interpret it? Was it something that like, you know, you said that you were a tween, so like this is kind of a stereotype, but I'm assuming tween girls you know, they they can enjoy a romantic story, you know. <laughs> so like was this something that sure. what are you, what are Why you? why wouldn't they? Well, I'm just saying that like as compared to like tween boys. Okay. You know, just I mean, that's interesting. I'll, I'm trying yeah. not to stereotype. In Got any it. case, Danielle, <laughs> yes. did, I think, was it something that was like interesting to you? Yeah, I think what I liked about it and what I liked about it when I rewatched it for this is like, I feel like it's a couple you don't typically see in these movies. Like they, mm-hmm. I feel like they're pretty real, obviously, like not like full on real, but mm-hmm. I feel like they they feel like a more realistic couple than a lot of like the eighties romantic movies. Yeah. Like they complement each other really well. Like I, I root for them. You, I don't know. Like there's no, like there's flaws, but they're realistic flaws. Mm-hmm. And I really like mm-hmm. that about them. And I also really like that, like seeing her with her dad and everything mm-hmm. like that I felt was a really cool element. And also like, it just feels like kind of like a different type of eighties romantic movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, I, I think that's I think that's true. So you saw it for the first time because of a reference in Gilmore Girls. I saw it for the first time because of a podcast <laughs> that happened to put it on its slate of movies to cover. So I'd never seen this movie before last yeah, night. Yeah, that was a very roundabout way of saying you've never seen the movie before. Yeah, I know. Wow. I just wanted to make it complicated. <laughs> but but no, I, I agree with a lot of what you just said as far as they didn't feel like like an 80s stereotype of a couple like they didn't it it seemed like more than some other like the only other i guess uh some kind of wonderful actually mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. more of a romantic movie that we've talked about and the characters oh, and true. say anything definitely felt like they were more realized characters mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the relationship that uh she had that Diana Diane had with her dad i thought was like really sweet. And then since I had never seen this movie before crushing <laughs> when I realized what was going to happen to Frazier's dad, <laughs> which also like, uh, I, I have to tell you, Derek can knock it over the fact that like both this movie and Frazier are set in Seattle. <laughs> I'm, I'm convinced that this movie is a prequel to Frazier and that when her dad got out of prison, he remarried with someone who had a couple boys <laughs> And they just stayed in Seattle. I think it all checks out. B.B. Newworth. Yep. Makes an appearance. <laughs> yep. Okay. But getting back to what you were saying, Danielle, because this I find this really interesting. So prior to seeing this movie, had you already... Because like, okay, so the person I'm thinking of when I'm thinking of like teen movies, obviously of the mm-hmm. 80s, John Hughes. So were you already familiar with those movies? And do you think that that's why you had a different response to this one? Because as much as I love... John Hughes. I think Derek's right. I think some kind of wonderful might actually be the most realized in terms of like actual relationships between teenagers. But what what was your experience with Hughes before seeing Say Anything? Yeah, like I had seen like Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, mm-hmm. Sixteen Candles. Um, my sister's favorite movie is Breakfast Club, and she's older, so I had seen that. Mm-hmm. At, I'm not sure exactly when, but before I saw Say Anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do really like those movies, but I do feel like they're more, yeah, like I do like, like what you're saying. I feel like the characters are kind of more stereotype stereotypes, especially mm-hmm. breakfast mm-hmm. club. I mean, yep. love, love that movie so much, but they're not, 
they're not really three dimensional. So it was mm-hmm. cool to, like to see these more three dimensional characters and like, yeah, I don't know. It just it feels like it could actually happen. I guess Breakfast mm-hmm. Club wouldn't, <laughs> you know. And I don't. I mean, personally, I don't take that as a slight to Hughes. I think that that's like the contribution in part that he made to cinema is that he like really set up these archetypes. So mm-hmm. I think that that's an important part of, you know, how teen films have developed. And so I think, and I agree with you, I think that he did something very different than what Cameron Crowe yeah. did in this movie. And so that kind of leads me to my next question. So now we're kind of talking about all these different filmmakers. Had you, and well, okay, I'll just ask, had you already been familiar with any of Cameron Crowe's work before seeing Say Anything? I'm not sure. Can you name some of his other Yeah, of course. So my guess is probably the movie you might be the most familiar with is Jerry Maguire. I've seen Jerry Maguire, but I think it was after I saw Say Anything. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So like a couple of us – and so his whole thing is that like – I was telling this to Derek last night. He's real big on like I just direct the stuff that I write myself. Mm -hmm. So that's why I feel like he – in particular has you know such an influence over these movies that he makes because he's not just like a director for hire but like um singles precedes jerry Maguire. that's one of his movies almost famous yeah almost oh, famous i've seen almost famous of. yeah um, i don't remember and if then, i saw that before or after say anything it was probably a, like a similar time that i saw almost famous okay which you know takes us back to kind of like they it's a different totally different role but there are teens involved um, I mean, but it's it's yeah. very autobiographical. Like that yeah. was honestly based after his own life, which I mean, is kind of right. amazing. Almost famous and Jerry Maguire, they're obviously very different movies, but I feel like there are at least some similar themes mm-hmm. to some extent. And then you have other movies like Vanilla Sky that's just bizarro world. But I love yeah. that movie. Did but you it ever is see so Vanilla different. Sky? Daniel? Yeah, I saw Vanilla Sky without knowing anything about it. And <laughs> yeah, was yeah. like, this is this is incredible. It's like I love every Tom Cruise movie, unfortunately. Like I don't want to, but they're great. Yeah, no, he's he usually picks like he we were actually also having this conversation the other night that Tom Cruise rarely has a dud. Yeah. Um, you know, like I know that Vanilla Sky The Mummy. Y- yes. Exactly. That's why I said rarely. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, Vanilla Sky, I remember actually seeing that one in the theater and being like, I have no idea what's happening right now, but but it's interesting. But I'm liking it. Yeah. Like, I was like, <laughs> it's all very interesting to me. I just don't understand any of it. Um, and then, like, some of his more recent stuff is We Bought a Zoo. And <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like a weird title for me. Anyway, We Bought a Zoo and Aloha. Are some of his oh, more yeah. recent movies? Aloha was controversial. I never. Saw yes, it, it was. Yes, it was. Um, <laughs> which, you know, it's so interesting because, you know, we talk about eighties movies. Obviously, as we this, do, this very conversation is demonstrating. Sometimes we get off track, but the eighties movies that we talk about, we bring up all the time that there's like problematic elements usually um, mm-hmm. within those movies because of the time or the era. And I think it's interesting that we still are learning how to, cause when was Aloha? I mean, it was like maybe what, 10 years ago? About, yeah. About sometime that, in the last yeah. 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm and, not familiar with this film at all. Oh, are you familiar with the controversy? No. Okay. So Danielle, correct me if I'm wrong, 
-hmm. But basically the controversy was around the casting of Emma Stone for somebody who was supposed to be Asian American. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Mm. Island Pacificer. Okay. Pacific Islander. Okay. I swapped those. Um, so <laughs> yes, that was that was an issue. A very I feel like there's issue. not that much tr- that was problematic in Say Anything. I there wasn't that much. I mean, there are some movies that we've that we've talked about where there's some wild stuff that I had no memory of. But yeah, I don't. Do you remember anything where like really standing out? Anna? No, I mean, here's kind of my one thing about say anything and i adore this movie i love this movie i think that there is rightfully so more sensitivity around the idea of being respectful of boundaries and yeah and that sort of thing i don't want to go so far as saying consent because that kind of takes us into a different area but like basically lloyd is like obsessed with her he okay, so he is, and I like I said, this is the first time that I've seen this movie. Last night was the first time I've ever watched it, and in part that's because I think I had these preconceived notions of what this movie was about or what mm-hmm. it was like and what his character was like, based in part on parodies of him holding right. a boombox. Right. So I feel like actually watching the movie, it you know that first phone call that he has with her where he is pushy trying mm-hmm. to get that date. And it made me like, oh, God, this is a little little too much. Cringe. But other than that, you know, they they have kind of a heated discussion when she wants to, you know, break off the relationship. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I was expecting more in terms mm-hmm. of that. And I was actually happy that that it wasn't as exaggerated as I had heard or mm-hmm. as like the legend of the movie maybe mm-hmm. had made it out to be. Yeah, and Danielle, feel definitely feel free to chime in here. I mean, like, I think Derek's right that there has been this like heightened, uh, kind of almost like meme territory, yeah. you know, like of of what the movie really was. I think like looking at it through a twenty twenty one lens, I noticed that, but like absolutely, that was something that never even occurred to me the first time I watched it. You know, I feel so like it, he's yeah. a bit. Like, yeah, he really wants to go out with her, but it's not like the notebook status, you know? Like, have you seen the notebook? (laughs) 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 Like, he, like, is like, I'm going to jump off this Ferris wheel if you don't say that you'll go on a date with me. And, like, either be, like, like, get, like, severely hurt, and then he, like, goes and finds her in the town and continuously asks her out. Like, he's essentially stalking her. So if you compare yes. that to Lloyd, Lloyd was just kind of like, I'm a, I'm going to go out with her. You're going to go out with me. And she's like, yeah, all right, whatever. You know? It felt I mean, it felt more okay to me than The Notebook. And again, I love The Notebook, but he's right. uh, a bit right. intense. <laughs> I mean, let's just, like, call it out as, like, this is something that's a very common movie trope. Yes. It is extremely common to have a yeah. male character. If a girl doesn't like you, obviously what I learned from 80s movies are like, I just need to try harder. Right. Yeah. Right. If I just show up at like, random times and I never stop calling her <laughs> and I never let up, eventually she'll realize how much she loves me. That's what I learned from the 80s. And that's what I expected more of in this. And I'm like, well, there was a little bit, but not not too much. Yeah. I also and I don't think- want to... Oh, go ahead. I also think, like, Diane is, like, looking for a reason to, like, 
meet her peers, right? And like mm-hmm. yeah. she also takes advantage, not advantage of him, but she's like, well, I could mm-hmm. go with him and then I can like meet my peers. Like she sees it, she sees a another um like positive of going out with him besides just going out with him. So No, that's actually that's an yeah. amazing point. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like and I think that because I had it had been a minute since I'd watched the movie. And so mm-hmm. I had kind of forgotten the party scene mm-hmm. and or, or like the specifics of it. And so mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised watching it that like she spends very little time with him for yeah. what is supposed to be a first date. She's yeah. very aware that he's like walking around, keeping an eye on her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but you're right, Daniel. Like she like he wanted to take her out. He asked her out to this party. She agreed to go in part because he made her laugh. And also in part, like you said, she wanted, she kind of looked at this as the last chance to meet some of the people that she never had a chance to be around because Mm -hmm. she was so focused on her studies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's totally fine because this was just like their first date. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, they, they didn't really develop anything beyond that until after they had that opportunity to be around each other a bit more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I'm curious. So now that we're kind of like getting into the story, Derek said something last night when we were watching it that I thought was really interesting about the casting of John Cusack. So before I just put it out there, what he said, how do you feel about the casting of a John Cusack? Do you feel like this is like the only person that could pull this off? Could you imagine somebody else in the role? I think that it could have been someone else. Like it's not a role that I'm like, oh my God, only he could have played that role. Like, I love Lloyd, but he's not that deep of a character. Like, Kinda you know, like, is. <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like I could have seen someone else. Like, there's no one, like, coming to mind, I guess. But sure. I don't think it specifically needed to be him. What do you guys well, think? That's, well, that's fascinating because, like, as we were watching it, you know, I don't know if it's because since this movie came out, Cusack has arguably had the more successful career. I mean, Ione Sky is still working, you know, like it's not like she's gone anywhere, but Cusack has had just like the more high profile career. And, and he already, I mean, this was like his first, I would say leading man role, but he was already known for. He's been a couple things before. He, this. he was very yeah. popular in the eighties. I mean, he was in a lot of different movies. Um, but at one point Derek said, you know what? This is Diane's story. It absolutely is Diane's story. And I found that so interesting because I think I like when when somebody says say anything, John Cusack is the image in my head. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, do you feel it? So, I mean, you kind of just said so. So like, how do you (laughs) feel about it being (laughs) Diane's story instead of Lloyd's? I definitely don't think it's Lloyd's story at all. I think it's Diane's story of her having this like super close relationship with her dad. Like that's her relationship. Mm -hmm. Like, she doesn't do anything besides see her dad or in like do schoolwork mm-hmm. and she meets Lloyd and she ne- like, he gets her to see like that she needs to grow up essentially. Like she's still like this, as, she's like such a successful girl, but she's kind of mm-hmm. still like a, a daddy's girl, right? Like mm-hmm. she depends on him for everything, but he gets her to finally be like, be independent of her dad mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like see, like she probably wouldn't have, seen the truth about her dad if it hadn't been for Lloyd like it's really her story of growing up I think Mm -hmm. which is so interesting because 
only upon Derek saying that to me last night did I really think about that. And although I so strongly identified John Cusack with this movie, I do think – and he does – he's great. Like, I think that he – you know, for all the kind of, like, slightly cringe things we talked about with his character, he handles it really well. Well, all the, like – eccentricities i guess that his character had i thought right i thought you were going to mention not what i said about diane but when i said yeah i don't think i could imagine anyone else being this character oh oh well that's (laughs) what i that's why i think it's an interesting conversation because i think i feel that way about him in that role because i've seen him in other like similar types Mm -hmm. of romantic comedy roles and Mm so when i'm watching say anything for the first time it's easier for me to like fit into that place where I'm believing him as that character. Mm-hmm. Cause I've seen him in like slightly similar roles, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I could, I'd have to think about it if I was trying to recast that role of Lloyd, but I think ultimately the movie would be fine if it was recast because it is so much really more about Diana. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really know where I stand to be honest. Like again, I, I love him in this. Probably my favorite all-time role of John Cusack is Gross Point Blank. Yes, and this was also a prequel to that because of the kickboxing. <laughs> Have you seen Gross Point Blank, Danielle? No, I haven't. It's it's pretty spectacular. I mean, it's okay. a completely different kind of role. Yeah. Um, and you might be even more shocked by who Dan Aykroyd plays in Ooh. the movie. I also think it's interesting because this is when I picture John Cusack. I picture, you know, this movie. Like, mm-hmm. this is John Cusack to me. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I don't think he's the main character at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because, I mean, one thing that, you know, Danielle and I talk about a lot and have been schooled in a lot is the idea of a character arc. And definitely Lloyd goes through a a change of character throughout the course of the film in terms of, like, really falling in love with somebody and you know experiencing heartbreak deciding that you're gonna be vulnerable again and let this person back into your life you know that sort of thing so sure there's growth there but for sure diane is the one who is a completely different person on the other side of the story yeah i mean you brought up the like part of his arc being that he got to a point where he could let this person back in and it just made me chuckle a little because in that moment in the movie, mm-hmm. he asks her, do you really need me or just someone? And then he follows it up with like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> and it, yeah. So, I mean, I, I just thought that that was so interesting. It was something that literally like, so thank you, Derek, for making me think about something, you know, think about this film in a different way. Well, um, I mean, yeah, like I said, I just, having just seen it, yesterday for the first time it's very different and we've mm-hmm. talked about that most of the movies that we cover we've seen like mm-hmm. decades ago mm-hmm. so i didn't really know how that would uh how that would track seeing seeing this i, I wasn't i didn't have low expectations but mm-hmm. i really wasn't sure what to mm-hmm. think about it i thought look i thought the boombox was going to be like this grand finale where he does that and then she decides that she still loves him and then credits so I was happy. You thought little, that was the, the that final was the climax. Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so let's get into it because that is uh, arguably the most iconic scene. Not, not just in this movie, but literally in like cinema. It's like, parodied mm-hmm. so, many, yes. so many different ways, so many times. Yeah. 
So just on like an emotional level, Danielle, how do you respond to that moment? Like, is that a romantic gesture to you? Is that taking it too far? How do you, how do you feel about that moment? Okay. Would I want someone to do it to me? No. For the movie, I love it. It's adorable. Like, it's their song. Like, he's like, it's such a like sweet way to be like, I love you. Like, you know, come back to me without putting it into words. Like, it's a great, I think it's amazing in a movie. I don't think people should do it, but it's adorable in the movie. And like, such a great moment. And I also like that she doesn't like run down and make out with mm-hmm. him, you know, like it's still yeah. just like, I still have to like think about this, mm-hmm. which is another way. It's not like the stereotypical relationship, I think. Yeah. I think her, her reaction of just, this is making it mildly more difficult to fall back asleep was <laughs> actually like a more significant or meaningful reaction than if it had just been the stereotypical, like rush to the window mm-hmm. or run outside. Yeah. No, Fun you're, fact, I, I uh, yeah. have the DVD because I'm old and uh, I my DVD skipped at the, that scene <gasps> and wouldn't play the rest of the movie. And I was like, no. of all the scenes, I watched it. I, I watched it on Amazon or something. But I was like, of all the <laughs> scenes in all of the movies, this is where you're going to mess up. It was really rude. Anyway, it was fine. Are you are you are you telling us that like it's because you rewound back to that moment over and over again? (laughs) That is what I'm saying. Yes. I don't know. I'm I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm probably thinking DHS. Yeah, you're thinking of like. (laughs) But okay, you bring up so many. (laughs) That laser hit that one part too many times. Burned it away. No, not a tech person. Um, but you bring up a lot of good points. First of all. I think it could be absolutely fascinating to do some kind of documentary where I don't even know where you would begin with it, but where you begin to collect stories of men or women who attempted the boombox <laughs> in real life. Yes. I mean, what's the name of the song? You In Your Eyes? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you would name the doc In Your Ears? Oh, Just, man. Because you can't do right. the same, the exact same. That's, that's a winner. A, that's, that's a, a winner. That's, change it yeah. up a little bit <laughs> so i'm curious about that because you know for you to have the first response be like well i don't want it to happen to me it makes <laughs> me think it this absolutely happened to multiple people oh, yeah. there i mean i don't know if it's like since tapered off but i guarantee you 1990 1991 <laughs> when the movie was yeah. still pretty new there were i will were say of, yeah if someone had a boom box that is pretty cool because now you know they would just be with their phone or something but if someone did would, my window with a boombox, I'd, I'd have some respect. 2021, they're just sending you, they're texting you a gif of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or or a gif, either way. Could you imagine, oh, just, I mean, that actually would make a great spoof to have a yeah. 2021 version where it's just somebody holding up their iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> their declaration of love. <laughs> Be like, what are so you tr- doing? Go home. That that truly is a only only could be done in the eighties moment because it just yeah. would not have the same impact. Yeah, today. you'd hold up the phone playing the music, and then you'd hear it beep, and you'd look at your phone, and it'd be a text from them <laughs> saying, "Go home." Oh, that's amazing. But I agree with you. And you know, again, because it had been a minute since I had seen the movie, 
when that scene came on, I was, I was like getting caught up in it. I yeah. definitely was like just at a purely emotional level thinking like, I think, okay. So as I always say during this podcast, I take stuff I read off the internet with a grain of salt, but what I did read is that uh, Cusack was not keen on the scene. He thought mm. this is like, so this is dumb. Like, this is so hokey. Like, this is not going to play. And mm. it took convincing um, from Crow to to be like, no, this is where it's going to work. And he really pulls it off. Like, I was watching really closely just his facial expressions mm-hmm. uh, during that scene, especially when they get kind of closer and closer to him. Mm-hmm. And he really pulls it off. He pulls off this like, and and I was thinking the same thing during their breakup scene Mm -hmm. because halfway through that scene, she physically turns away from him Mm -hmm. and has her back to him in the car. And all he can do is, you know, kind of like emote through his facial expressions. And for, you know, the age that he was at that time, young guy, I was really impressed with the quality of his acting. I agree. Also, just like yeah. a really well-written scene. I mm-hmm. mean, the whole movie is well-written, but that scene in particular, I was like, this is very, again, like, it's like a realistic conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just the confusion in it. I mean, you're right. I think that that may be in a film that is just generally really well-written, that scene in particular is is executed really well because I it is so realistic where there's this back and forth and like, I don't know what you're saying to me right now. And mm-hmm. she's trying to articulate in a, in a more polite, I want to save you like the pain and grief of like what I'm really thinking, but I'm saying it in a way that's only confusing you more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's so fun. <laughs> almost to the point where like, man, I really, I really understand this scene because I've been there. <laughs> what, I, what I found interesting about it was that, from the uh, from the outset, we kind of felt like there was going to be some expiration date on the relationship because mm-hmm. he knew that she was going to be leaving. Mm-hmm. So it it seemed a little disingenuous that he seemed surprised that she felt like this was getting to be too much. Mm-hmm. But then the more I think about it, for his character, it, that like plays out because mm-hmm. he wouldn't have understood that. Mm-hmm. You know, like he he pursued this relationship and it was happening. So in his mind, like, I don't, I don't know if he even had that same concept of time of her leaving. Mm -hmm. He was so in the moment with like Mm -hmm. every scene that he had with her. So I'm like, are you surprised? And then I thought about it and maybe he was Lloyd. That is a good point. Like, I feel like I always forget that she's leaving when Mm -hmm. like, I didn't remember that there was, was supposed to just be like a temporary thing. So that is a good point um, that you bring up. And like I, 16 weeks, right? And he said, yeah. that's plenty of time. And I think that mm-hmm. like what what you're articulating is just this fundamental difference between the two of them. And that comes up again, dur- well, multiple times, but namely during the dinner scene. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> where all the adults are grilling him about what his future plans are. He, This is a character who straight up lives in the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. <laughs> and Diane is exactly the opposite. She is all about planning. She is all about the future. She's all about where she's going to go. And he is all about just like what is happening right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's not cool for her dad 
or mm-hmm. any of their family or friends because mm-hmm. they're like, get this guy, get this kickboxer away <laughs> so that she can go on and succeed. Well, let's talk about, I mean, cause we've kind of like talked around him. Let's talk about the dad. Danielle, how did you feel? I mean, you brought up really early at the top of our conversation that you liked that element of the film. So can you just like kind of dive into that more? Like, what was it about it that like attracted you to to that one relationship? Well, I think it's like interesting. So she has essentially no relationship with her mom and she chose Mm -hmm. to live with her dad, which is like, again, pretty uncommon generally Mm -hmm. and in a movie. I think kids Mm -hmm. typically choose to live with their mom um, or are told to live with their mom. But like, it's essentially, it's a toxic relationship because mm-hmm. he, it, I don't know that Diane herself wants all of these things that he's trying to push onto her, but because mm-hmm. there's no one else till she um, meets Lloyd, like, she's like, yeah, I'm going to follow that path. That's what my dad wants for me. And then to have him be so flawed, like he's a bad mm-hmm. guy. He's been mm-hmm. stealing money, like kind of like wrecks her whole uh, worldview right but mm-hmm. that leads her into being like well I'm gonna go pursue this great future but I'm gonna bring Lloyd with me because mm-hmm. he actually grounds me and he's good to me and he would he never would have lied to me her dad straight up lies in her face another great scene mm-hmm. when yeah. she's like did you do it and he's like no I'll swear to god and she's like well I know you did like that was an amazing mm-hmm. scene too like I I think it was like a really good exploration of just essentially like a toxic relationship and like complicated relationship too because she, at the end she still says that she loves him and stuff like it's still a relationship she'll have in her life but she needed to learn that it can't be the only one mm-hmm. no really well said and yeah I think the first takeaway I have from that part of the film is like you mentioned how unusual it is to show mm-hmm like a really close father daughter relationship, especially in that era. Cause you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, we see father figures pop up. I mean, you know, like Sam and 16 can like, I'm trying to stick to kind of like teen films of the eighties, Yeah. but like we have like Sam and 16 candles. She seems to have more of a bond to her father. You know, they have that like middle of the night talk. There's a different dependency, different think, dependency for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, you know, we see dads pop up. But yeah, I mean, how unusual to have a single, essentially a single father raising this girl. And, you know, he's a really interesting character because on the one hand, he, you know, like there's so many parents out there who make their kids feel not loved and not like they're not worth anything. And here's this guy who's telling her, like, you can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want. Like, especially, again, in the era, like, granted, we're not talking about the 1950s. But I do also think it's slightly unusual to have a father being so um, affirmative to a daughter he wasn't versus just, a son. He wasn't just supportive of her, like, academically. Mm-hmm. But he he was actually pretty reasonable mm-hmm. about her wanting to explore some of these other things mm-hmm. and go out and, mm-hmm. and spend time with Lloyd. Well, so he was like a really like well-rounded out character, which mm-hmm. is what made the realization that like, yeah, he did these awful things. It made him like a, one of the more real characters that I have seen in mm-hmm. any of these eighties movies, because he, you can be both like you can be a good person that has done bad things. 
Yep. Mm -hmm. No, really well said. And yeah, even just like when we were watching it last night, look, he he completely received the the comeuppance, whatever. Like he, he, in there jail. were there were yes, there were consequences to his actions. But also it was one of those things where it's like arguably from at least what the movie portrays the people in that nursing home they were treated well but he was obviously he was taking money from them so he's a bad guy who needs to like serve time for what he did but he wasn't being abused like it's this really weird it's like i i find those kinds of characters fascinating where like there are certain things about them that you like so much yeah and then other mm -hmm. things about them where you're like, oh, and then like you said, Danielle, like him li like lying inches from her face to his daughter, you know, and mm -hmm. and just the break of trust that that must have resulted in, you know, because mm -hmm. like you said, this is the person she trusts more than anyone in the world. She had just gone to kind of confront the IRS, like mm -hmm. the investigators, including the amazing Philip Baker Hall, mm -hmm. Detective Bookman from, I think, an episode of Seinfeld. Who, <laughs> Deep cut. Yeah. <laughs> but even, he, he's just credited as IRS boss, so I'm going to call mm -hmm. him Bookman. Even Bookman had like a depth to that like mm -hmm. side character that you only see for a couple mm -hmm. of minutes. Like You could see that he understood and appreciated what she was going through and how much she loved her dad and mm -hmm. didn't want to believe. And when he said, we know we did it, mm -hmm. like we have the evidence. I think that's, you know, it was after that that she went back and like started searching the house mm -hmm. and found mm -hmm. like what stacks of money. Why is he trying to buy that thing with a credit card? Yeah. Danielle, can we talk about that for a second? Had the same thought. Like, <laughs> Cause then they bring up, they say, does he buy a lot in cash? When we had just had the scene of his credit card being declined. And then she's like, yeah, mm, yeah I guess he does. It's like, well. <laughs> they could have just deleted that entire scene. Yeah, and... it really wasn't needed. Yeah. But I uh, thank you. Thank you, Danielle. Because <laughs> that was one thing where like, okay, so if that scene had come after the IRS meeting or whatever, whoever she was meeting with, mm -hmm. then it would have been that much more obvious that like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. But yeah. one like so, like to me that was just like, a crazy little misstep. You know, I'm gonna buy all this stuff. Movie. I left all my cash in the lockbox, so I'm just gonna try to use this card. <laughs> it was just so strange because I feel like okay, so if the point of that scene was to show that like he's beginning to get cornered, they're getting closer. I don't you know? think you needed that because then he she didn't. goes to talk to yeah. the IRS to Bookman. Right. And uh, we get there. We get there without that. And it just creates this inconsistency. Mm -hmm. We're like, why didn't he just use all that cash he had? But to your point, just in, in general about the character, I mean, I think that really speaks to the strength of, I mean, we've been talking about it kind of continuously throughout this, but the strength of Crow's writing, but also the direction that mm -hmm. he gives. Because I think we all seem to be in agreement that these are more fully fleshed out characters than typically you would see in a teenage romance, and especially one from the 80s. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and in particular, yeah, I really like that scene because you can see that he's like, I have a job to do, but he also shows her compassion. You know, <laughs> like he treats her in a, a, not as an adult. I don't really mean it in that way, but like he he tells her straight. Yeah. You yeah. know? Um, and, and tells her, don't, don't let this screw up your own future. Yeah. You know, which I, mean, I appreciated. Look, Eric Stoltz just plays basically a chicken <laughs> and even he's pretty good. 
I'm curious though, like I was saying, um, these are all teenagers who are fresh out of high school. And so as realistic as the portrayals of those characters are, do you think that they're realistic for characters of that age? It's a good question. They do feel older to me. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. they feel like in their early twenties, I guess. I feel like they probably, Mm -hmm. the actors probably were, I don't think they were teenagers. Um, Yeah. It feels more of like a, like they're 21, 22, I guess I would say. Yeah. I mean, that was the one thing where, cause you know, you can't, I feel like you can't help, but like kind of compare yourself at that age. And I was like, there's no way I was that mature Mm -hmm. as a high schooler. No, I don't think I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, especially, especially Diane. Yeah, I do think she, like, I can get behind it a little bit more just because this is her sole focus at the beginning of the movie is, you know, being valedictorian, being, going Mm -hmm. to a great college. Like, Mm -hmm. she is more mature than her age, but yes, she's still even more mature than a mature 17-year-old. Mm-hmm. She, um, I mean, she's had to go through some stuff with her parents' divorce and Mm -hmm. she's been so like laser focused on her academics. So it, it it works out a little bit. I was, I was wondering about, they, they do have jobs. Like they do Mm -hmm. actually work. She Mm -hmm. works at the, at the home that her dad has been stealing from. Yeah. And Cusack, we know of his affinity for the kickboxing. Mm -hmm. It's a new sport. It's going to be really big. Teaching kids. Yeah, but he's he's got a job, uh, a gig teaching. Which, by the way, same dojo as they used for the Karate Kid. That's amazing. (laughs) Fun fact. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as far as like the maturity level, I think uh, I didn't I didn't do a deep dive into everybody's ages. I know that Ioni Sky was pretty much the age of her character. Hmm. Oh wow. Um. So she probably I think was maybe closest to that. Um, and, and speaking of, cause we've kind of like done the deep dive on all the other characters. We've talked about how it is Diane's story, but how do you feel about the actress who portrayed her? Do you feel like that was the, the right casting call? How did you take to, to Ioni Sky as Diane Court? I actually think I more feel like she needed to be the character than John Cusack being Lloyd. Mm. But it might also be to what you were bringing up earlier that she hasn't really done much else that's like I've recognized her in. So I see mm-hmm. her so clearly as this role because I haven't seen her in mm-hmm. any other role, you know? Mm. But I think Diane's such an interesting character. But I, and like I do really like her portrayal. I, I think someone else could have played her though. Like mm-hmm. I like the way she played the character though. Like she did a good job. Like I feel like she understood Diane really well and like mm-hmm. the scenes with her father in particular I feel like she really there's like this like really deep emotional pull there um but yeah I mean I'm not like tied to her as Diane but I do Mm -hmm. like how she portrayed her yeah I agree I mean she she was I mean it's funny because pretty much like all these actors including actually John Mahoney came up in the 80s he had his first and now this isn't to say that maybe he wasn't already doing theater or something like that, that again, doesn't get clocked on IMDb, but his first credit through IMDb was in 1981 when he was already 41 years old. 
Wow. Wow. Isn't that crazy? And then he just like, like, I mean, it's like he was off to the races once, <laughs> once he did start working in like film and television and just had like an incredible re- resume of work um, after that point. And yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I'd have to kind of do more research on it if he uh, just had a different kind of acting career prior to his film and television work or not. But I thought that that was so interesting. I want to see this movie recast with Tom Selleck as Lloyd Dobler and Daryl Hannah as Diane Court. I think that could work. Are you saying that that's like people that were considered? No, I just made that up. Oh, you just made that up. Okay, okay. Uh, I mean, I don't, you know, you were joking about Jeremy Piven never having looked like a high school student. I think Tom Selleck even less. Yeah, I know. That's why I said ever have looked. (laughs) like a high school student <laughs> but to get back to Ioni Sky I mean um she had had a like a couple uh credits under her belt probably the most notable which I think it just came out a little bit before this uh Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon with mm. River Phoenix mm. but she didn't have a ton and I I really love her in this role I mean I think Danielle you make a really good point that because she hasn't done a ton of other high profile work She's so associated with this role, mm-hmm. but I agree with you. I think she really holds her own. Mm-hmm. She she really feels like this character, which in some ways is a hard character, I think, to get the audience on your side. Mm-hmm. I, I think for for some of these characters, especially in like the eighties movies, they're so stereotyped that you're like the smart person that has no right. idea how to relate or yeah. engage with others, and she wasn't that. Yeah. Or like she was a well-rounded character, both in the relationship she had with her father and also because it's not that she had no idea how to relate to these other kids. She just made the conscious choice. Like, I really need to focus on all this stuff, mm-hmm. partly because it's what she wanted to do and partly because it's what her father kind of like put her on this path. Mm-hmm. And she played that really convincingly. Like, you know, when she went to the party, she was a little bit of a fish out of water, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like. I don't understand what this party thing is, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. I, thought, I thought she did great. Yeah, I agree. I really, I really enjoyed her in this role. So, and, and like I said, uh, having not seen the film in a little bit, I think in my head, I just kind of had a skewed idea of who I'd, who I would be gravitating towards. Yeah. And that is not to say that I don't enjoy John Cusack in the movie. I love him in the movie, but um, yeah, I just, I guess had a new appreciation, I would say for her. Yeah. In the movie. I agree with that. Uh, I hadn't seen it yeah. in a couple years either. And I was definitely like honed in on Diane this time around. Mm-hmm. I love how flat her joke fell at her uh, valedictorian speech. And the only yeah. laugh you hear is her dad. You hear it in the crowd. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, Danielle, I mean, is anything about that graduation scene like feel familiar to you? Like what was your, like what was the the emotion or the tone around your high school graduation? I cried at my high school graduation uh, because I never moved. So like I was with all of these people since Mm -hmm. I was five, even if I wasn't Mm -hmm. friends with them. It was just like, I had all these people always around me who were familiar. And I was like, Oh my God, like I'm going to college. I'm going to have to leave. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm trying to think. We didn't do valedictorian at my high school. Oh, okay. Okay. So people submitted speeches and then like a student oh, did a speech. Um, and then like 
yeah, I don't know. I, I was sad. Not to be done with high school. I was really happy to be done with high school. I was just sad right. that, like, that whole, this whole time of my life that had been, you know, 18 years is, mm-hmm. like, now changing and I'm going, I'm leaving and moving to college. But it was, a, it was actually a cool graduation. It was in D.C. at, like, a large venue. Um, yeah, and because my one of my friends is, like, alphabetically close to me in the alphabet, I got to sit, mm-hmm. like, near her. Oh, fun. that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always find high school graduation scenes in movies really interesting just mm-hmm. because of the way they depict them. I mean, like, I I know a little bit more about how Derek feels about his high school experience. But, like, what was your graduation like? Like, how did you feel about it? Or, and what was the tone of it? Um, it, I remember family, like, flying out to see this whole, like, event mm-hmm. and... I, I think they did have like the valedictorian speech and, and, you know, people saying, I'm sure deeply significant, meaningful things <laughs> to a crowd of people that just wanted to get out of there <laughs> while we all like sat in these uncomfortable chairs on a football field in hot ass Glendale, Arizona. Yeah. 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 So, you know, <laughs> like this robe is killing me. I hate this hat. Uh, I really just want to get out of here and never look at this high school or most of these people again. That was my, <laughs> That was my uh, impression of high school graduation. I was so happy to uh, move on to uh, the rest of life. Okay. I <laughs> no, I was no, no, told no. I could say anything. Are you? Oh, no. my goodness. Oh, my God. I got uh, it in there. Yes. And that is, no, that is not to, that is not to disqualify your answer. Everybody's entitled to their experience. <laughs> I uh, we I, talked about this during uh, yeah. Ferris Bueller's day. Well, that, yeah, yeah, I was actually thinking about that yeah. as as everybody was talking. But yeah, I share more of a similar experience with Danielle. Sure. Um, yeah. Where I had gone to the same school since kindergarten, and so in, in small school, and like same had had been going to school with some of those students for that entire time. I hope that's what most people get out of it. Yeah. I hope that most people don't have the same high school trauma. <laughs> I well, had. I mean, the the part of the reason why I bring it up is because I do feel like the one thing because like, OK, so what I took away from the high school or the graduation scene in the movie was just kind of this. I don't know, like they were also quiet and yeah. like kind of it felt well I saw moments like they they cut to um like I don't know if I'd call it a reaction shot but while Diana's speaking I saw Corey like very invested in what mm-hmm. she was saying so it's not that everybody was just kind of disconnected from it but it seemed like generally that was the case and as evidenced by like I mean it wasn't a strong joke to begin with but like it didn't seem like any part of her speech was mm-hmm. like really resonating no mm-hmm. it it didn't and it was, it was a little sad yeah and so like it felt like a re- it was just kind of a weird vibe to me but I do agree with her like I felt like one of the I mean the whole movie has a lot of honesty to it but like one of the really honest moments is her saying that she's scared yeah mm-hmm. and I totally get that like and maybe it is because I had been in kind of this like same environment for a lot of years mm-hmm. and knew that like I had to move past that. Like whether I liked it or not, I was going to be moving on to the next phase of my life. And I didn't know what that was going to be really. I mean, yes, you kind of know where you're going to college or whatever, but like you don't know what that next 
part of your life is going to be like. So I just found that kind of interesting. Um, and I think it also like ties in well with the ending scene with her being scared, you know, because like, mm. she's scared of planes. But because Lloyd helps her through it and she's been able to kind of grow out of her, not immaturity, but like this like kind of immature connection with her dad she she's like i'm gonna get on the plane and everything's gonna be fine and lloyd's there to like talk her down help her help her with takeoff danielle thank you so much because that was going to be like my final point (laughs) so you just introduced us to the best segue uh yeah i was just kind of curious i mean we you you touched briefly on ultimately the way she decides to handle her relationship with her dad and you know between that final scene with her father at at in the prison what do you call it courtyard uh, yes. in that prison, prison where you're allowed to like just hand people pens and letters <laughs> and stuff Derek had a real problem with that <laughs> just give him a key to let himself out or something while you're at it <laughs> It's it's a it's a message because <laughs> the dad told her to give Lloyd the pen and now she's saying Oh no no Here's I know why pen. she yeah. But yeah. I guess it could be a weapon. <laughs> like, I guess. Probably. But um it it I mean how did you feel about that final scene between her because the two I mean obviously obviously the two pivotal relationships are her and Lloyd and then her and her father. So between that resolution between her and her dad and then following that up with them on the plane and mm-hmm. them taking off like how did you feel about the way that the story is wrapped up i love it i mean i love like kind of it's not an ambiguous ending but an ending it's not it's not there's not a conclusion i love mm-hmm. that so and i love just the whole symbolism of the like once the once you hear the noise everything's okay and then it goes mm-hmm. to credits like i love that like I think it's such a well-written scene and just, again, going back to it being like more of like a realistically written mm-hmm. movie. Um, and I think it's like a really sweet moment between the two of them. And you see that like, regardless of if, I don't know if they end up getting married, you know, but like they right. are very good for each other. They've helped each other. He's, mm-hmm. he's maybe not, he doesn't have like a job, you know, in place, but right. like, he's not just like hanging out and she's still pursuing this great future. She didn't throw anything away, but she's going with someone who she can trust and count on. Mm-hmm. I mean, fortunately his kickboxing travels. <laughs> he can engage in that really anywhere on the planet. So that'll, that'll work. I mean, I hope it does work out for him. I mean, yeah. the one thing that he brings up several times throughout the movie, and I know this isn't a job, this isn't going to pay the bills, but he says several times, like, I'm really good at, like, loving her. I'm really good yeah. at being there for her. Mm-hmm. And Well, the dinner scene, when he's going through all the things that he doesn't, he do- <laughs> I don't want to sell anything. I don't want to, you know. Process anything. Pro- I don't want to sell anything that's processed or bought. <laughs> And like, I'm not going to figure out any of this right now. So I'm just going to hang out with your daughter. (laughs) Yeah. He's so resolute in that. It's, it's such an interesting part of his character that he's like, nope, this is, this is like what I'm best at. And this is what I enjoy the most. So this is just what I'm going to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But I agree with you. Like, I really love the ending. I couldn't help, but think about in terms of contrast, Uh, Danielle, had you ever seen The Graduate? Yeah. It does remind me of that a lot. mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I 
Derek, have you seen The Graduate? It's been a while. But I okay, but yeah. I'm. I feel like it's like one of those cultural things where, like, even if it's been a while, you never saw it. You kind of know that iconic final image of them at the back of the bus. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was really interesting to me because it has. It, it's like in some ways a really similar ending, where you mm-hmm. have this very young couple who is about to embark on whatever is going to be the next phase of their lives. But mm-hmm. there is a, a mo- or a element of uncertainty, but the emotional resident resonance for me at least felt really different. Like in the graduate, you know, they're at first like so stoked that they like got away from the wedding. They kind of like won and they they asserted themselves and you know so they like get on the bus and they're like so joyful. And then as they sit down and kind of take a moment, they realize like, oh, we don't. We don't have a plan. Yeah, we don't have a plan. (laughs) We don't really know if we're right for each other. And you see this, uh, just this like kind of, anxiety is too strong of a word, but kind of this uncertainty and this kind of like, Awareness. Yeah, awareness of it all. Would you agree with that, Danielle? Yeah, it kind of goes from elation to like, Mm -hmm. "Mm, (laughs) what what did we do? (laughs) What did we just do? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, I'm glad we don't get that in this. Yeah, yeah, I really love kind of the hopefulness of it. Yeah. And if the film itself hadn't already explored so many really heavy topics in terms of like, you know, what her father was up to, the break of trust, um, them going through a breakup, them, you know, deciding to reunite, like it, the film goes through a lot. So I feel like it's earned mm-hmm. that ending. Yeah. Whereas if it had been more lighthearted, it'd be like, oh, so corny, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it's an interesting contrast. I don't know if Crow, I mean, I feel like Crow knows his film history. And if if that was at all like kind of an intentional, not comparison because I don't, you know, like the whole compare. Inspired by. Inspired by, yeah. yeah. But wanting to be more hopeful, wanting to be more just like, optimistic yeah i feel like the they're sure of the decision that mm-hmm. they made you know there's no i mean lloyd hesitancy. is definitely lloyd is for sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but like i don't feel any there's no like what did we do versus the graduate mm-hmm. or that's what you feel mm-hmm. in like a, a great ending though i love the ending of the graduate too mm-hmm. but yeah like i the point of this movie is to get like them together in a good place where they're both going to be happy and you you get that in the end they're both going to be okay honestly i didn't know how it was gonna end i didn't i was like is she gonna like give up on her her dreams is she gonna suddenly feel kind of in a some kind of wonderful way realize Mm -hmm. that this was never my dream this is what you wanted Mm -hmm. so this is now what i want so i was pretty satisfied with with that ending because it made sense like Lloyd, what do you got to stick around for in mm-hmm. the U.S.? Like I said, your kickboxing will travel. <laughs> it's going to do well globally. Uh, maybe he like invested in the UFC. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I'm sure it turned out. I, I choose to believe that it turned out wonderfully for this couple. Well, on that note. Yes. Danielle, this has been such a pleasure to talk yes. to you. This has honestly been really fun because, I mean, I know we talk about a lot of stuff related to like film and television, but we don't, you know, often get the chance to do like a real deep dive on this kind of stuff. 
been so great. it was it was really great and you know the one thing i know i am just like going into redundancy you know but like we always just have guests that say such great things like they always make us like think a different way about a movie yeah so i just yeah i love these conversations thank you yeah thank you so much for being on the show and thanks for having me you are um you are an amazing writer and that's not just limited to you know the works that you've done in like television and film but like i love your social media you always have like fun little quips and little things that you, <laughs> you put out there and so if people want to like follow you connect with you where can they do that so on twitter you can follow me tv's fun t-v-s-f-u-n mm-hmm. also on instagram t-v-s-f-u-n <laughs> that's where you can find me so you could probably get a sense. I mean, like, honestly, like, probably at the top of the show, even when you're mentioning Gilmore Girls. Yeah. And and saying how you're like, okay, so I'm going to suss out all these cultural <laughs> references that they, that they At the age up. of 14, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was a real so, cool person. Um, <laughs> no, no. You were in R. A very cool Thanks. person. And and like I said, like you you have like really fun uh takes on things because like I always know what you're watching. Because yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. of uh certain things that you'll put out there about that and just like general stuff. So all right. Well, thank you again for being on the show. Thanks and for uh me. yeah, absolutely. Let us know if there are any of their uh, references <laughs> covering things the we'll and, then, yeah. and then if it's an eighties movie, yeah, exactly. you know. All right, I'll have you back on the show. (laughs) Perfect. Can't wait. All right. So Danielle, thank you so much again. We had we had a really fun time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Derek, I'm very curious to know. Would you watch this film again? Absolutely. Yeah. I really like this. Uh if it comes on, if I see it on, I'm definitely gonna try to try to watch it again. Uh, I don't think we have it. We just rented it yeah. for this. Oddly so, enough, I don't have it. Yeah, we might be picking it up I soon think. just to have it as part of our collection. Because I, like I said, I really enjoyed it. There was a lot more going on with it. We talked about how um, some kind of wonderful felt like a little bit higher level of sophistication with the characters mm-hmm. than some of the other uh, John Hughes team movies. And mm-hmm. then this felt like another level couple levels possibly beyond that movie mm-hmm. so i think it still maintains a lot of the fun things that you would would kind of tie back to an 80s film mm-hmm. but it's got a little bit more depth so i i really liked it and i would definitely watch it again yeah i mean i feel the same way like it's a great film uh it had been a while as i mentioned several times with danielle and so i definitely picked up like new insights watching it this time around I think we all were in agreement that this really feels much more like Diane, uh, Diane's story yeah, uh, than Lloyd's. And so, yeah, I just feel like this is maybe one of those movies where you can continually kind of mine more from it every time you see it. So, And I think it's just really well done. Yeah. I think it's really well written, really well directed. So, all right. Our listener call to action. So my whole thing is that in your eyes was like the go-to song in school when there was a slow song oh like every school dance okay (laughs) as soon as you start hearing in your eyes you're like oh okay (laughs) slow song 
And so I just, was that just like a weird thing about our school? Do other schools do that? Do do other schools still do that? Like, is that still a song? That's- so are you asking how many times have you slow danced to Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes? I just want to know what people's like historical like involvement is with this song. Because like, I might, I well, no. If I hear the song In Your Eyes, I immediately start thinking of like high school dances. And then secondly, I think of Say Anything. Oh, okay. So... Was that a song? I mean, I'm sitting across from you right now. Like, is that a song that was played at your school? School dances? Well, sadly, I did not attend them. Oh, Derek. (laughs) (laughs) So I cannot tell you. (laughs) You can neither confirm nor deny. Exactly. All right. All right. Well, that's my call to action. So if you want to reach out to us... um, We'd love for you to do that. You can contact us through Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And it's the same handle for all three. It is at 80s Montage Pod. And 80s is 80S. Well, our goal in this uh, episode was to say anything. And I would say that we have said everything about this movie. Oh, Derek. <laughs> well, I'm, you not, know what? I'm not taking that out. You know, you know what? I think I think that's it. We're done here. We're so, done? <laughs> we All right. Fair enough. To, uh, we appreciate. Thank you so much for hanging with us. <laughs> and uh, we will see you in two weeks' time. And sincerely, I will try to do better next time.